Happy Sabbath, everyone. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Happy Sabbath, everyone. It's good to be here with you today at the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church. As was said earlier, my name is Gervon Marsh, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the ministerial field associates. I'm specifically responsible for the uh, south, well, southeast Florida area from, say, South Brevard all the way to Key West, and it's a joy to be here with you today. Uh, I should have been here sometime earlier, but because of some issues, I wasn't able to be here, and your pastor, who happens to be my good friend, did remind me, but I forgot that he had to be away on serving our country, and so he's not here today, but it's good to be here with you, and I want to thank all those who participated in the service thus far to make it a blessing to us. Have you been blessed so far? Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, here's what I want you to do for me before we enter the study of God's Word. Just turn to your neighbor and say to that person, I would have been the most beautiful person here today if you were not here. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> amen, amen. I hear somebody saying I can't tell a lie in church. <laughs> But the truth is we're all beautiful in the sight of God. What do you say? Amen. Wonderful. Thank you again for having me here. I'm going to invite you in honor of God's word to stand with me as we read from the word of God. Today we direct your attention to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24. So there's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, I think the third book of the Bible in the Old Testament, chapter 24. And I want to read a few verses in your hearing. I'm reading from the New King James Version. You can follow along in whatever version you, are, you have. Leviticus 24, starting at verse 1, and we will read to verse 4. Listen carefully and follow intently. Leviticus 24, 1 to 4. The Bible says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute uh, forever in your generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. I want to speak to you briefly on the issue, keep the fire burning. Bow your heads with me and let us pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of life. We thank you for the joy of salvation. And we thank you for the privilege we have to worship you freely. And we know that your presence is here when we pray even for your continued protection because we live in a world where unfortunately men may perpetuate evil. But we're so grateful that you are large and in charge. And so bless your word to our hearts today. Bless the readers and reading, the listeners and listening of your holy word. And we have no doubt that before our time would have ended, you would have blessed us immensely. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, let everybody say, Amen. You may be seated. I want to welcome my mom who is with me today. She decided to journey with me. Thank you. Good to have you with me. She's right there. Uh, just before we get into 
the Word of God. I want to encourage you to pray for our country. You know what happened earlier on in Texas this week. My heart sinks. My wife and I just uh, gave birth to our second child. He's just a month old. If you see me looking a little sleepy, you'll understand why. He has uh, the time all mixed up. He thinks day is night and night is day. But my heart sank as I, I watched the news and see how these little children, so precious, their lives were taken so senselessly. And so we must pray for the families that have lost loved ones, these beautiful loved ones, along with the teachers whose lives were taken. And we need to pray that God's Spirit will continue to strive with men so that things like these are not repeated. But these things, beloved, are all indicative of the fact that we're living in the last days and that the answer really is not in politics or politicians. The answer is not in this world, but the answer is in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's pray that Jesus comes soon. Amen. I want to speak to you briefly on the issue, keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. I heard a story once of a man who lived near a church. Actually, he lived immediately beside the church. The pastor would always invite him to come and join the church service, would always invite him to come and be a part of their church, but he always refused. The pastor did this day after day, month after month, year after year, but he never even stepped foot on the property. The pastor would persist, but the man would insist that he is not coming. Well, unfortunately, one day, something terrible happened. Uh, one day, lightning unfortunately struck the church. And when lightning struck the church, the church caught on fire. And while the church was there on fire, they called the fire department, they called the pastor, they called everybody, and everybody rushed there trying to get this fire out. But then the pastor noticed something interesting. Standing right in front of the burning building, was the man who lived right next door, he would, who we would always be inviting to come to church. And the man was standing there in front of the church with a big grin on his face. Now the pastor couldn't understand this and was a little perturbed and asking him, why are you standing here with a big grin on your face? You heard that lightning struck our church and it's now on fire and everybody's here frantic trying to get this out to save the building and you're here standing with this big grin on your face. Why are you doing that? To which the man replied, and I want you to listen to his response carefully. He said to the pastor, pastor, I've lived beside your church all these years, and this is the first time I've ever seen your church so hot. This is the first time I've ever seen your church on fire, and it brings joy to my heart. Well, I don't know if you get it. Some of you may have flew over your head, but that's all right. You'll get it in a minute. But the man was in essence saying to the pastor, all these years I've lived here and I've never seen your church so lively. I've never seen your church so hot. And so my question to you today, the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church, if your church were to be caught on fire, would someone say that this is the first time they've ever seen your church so hot? Would someone say this is the first time they've ever seen your church on fire? Would someone say this is the first time your church is really on fire? Let me put it in other terms. The question is this for you today, my friends. 
Is your church making a difference in the community to the extent that if it caught on fire, people would either be missing it or they would be wondering what caused this building to be on fire? Is your church, my friends, making the difference that God wants it to make? Is your church making an impact in this community to the extent that if it were not here tomorrow, people could say, we miss this place? Now, that's a question we have to answer today. And I want to help you answer that question by delving deeply in the Word of God. I believe, beloved, that one of the best illustrations that can help us to understand whether or not your church is making a difference is in the Word of God, specifically in the sanctuary service. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Seventh-day Adventist church came into existence because the Founders studied the issues in Daniel chapter 8 and in the book of Daniel and Revelation, looking at the sanctuary service. They thought that the sanctuary in Daniel 8 verse 14, when the Bible says, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. They thought that that meant that Jesus was going to come back to earth at a specific time on October 22, 1844. But that became the great disappointment. But as they studied more about the sanctuary, they they understood that enfolded in the sanctuary is the gospel itself. So if you want to know about the gospel of Jesus, you go through the sanctuary and you'll see the beauty about it. And I'm telling you today that if you want to know if your church is on fire or if you want your church to be on fire or if you want your church to make the difference it ought to make, you can go to the sanctuary service and study it. Let me tell you a little about the sanctuary service. The Bible describes it in the book of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus. When you look at these books, you quickly realize that there was an outer court. And in the outer court, as you enter, the first thing you would see was the altar of sacrifice. This was an altar where daily the high priest would make sacrifices, and he would do that in the morning and in the evening. And as you pass the altar of sacrifice, the next article you would see would be a basin, a basin where the priest would wash his feet and himself before he went into the sanctuary. From there, you would go into the sanctuary. You had the holy place, and then you had the most holy place. In the holy place, there were three pieces of furniture. On the north side, you had the table of showbread. And then immediately at the curtain to enter the most holy place, you had the altar of incense. And then on the south side, you had the candlesticks or the golden candlesticks. Let me tell you a little about this because again, it's about the gospel. The bread, beloved, was replaced every Sabbath morning. And do you know what the bread represents? It represents the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. Can I tell you today that if you're hungry, Jesus can satisfy your soul? And then as you enter the altar of incense, the Bible tells us that the incense would be burned there on a regular basis. And this incense represents the fact that your salvation or your goodness, your righteousness, my righteousness cannot save us or righteousness will never save us. On the contrary, when our works and when everything we do are mixed with the righteousness of Jesus, we are accepted before God just as if we had never sinned. Can somebody say amen? amen. 
And then on the other side, you had the candlesticks. But before I come to the candlesticks, let's go into the most holy. In the most holy, you had the Ark of the Testament. In it, you had the Ten Commandments. And on top, you had what was called the mercy seat. On the mercy seat were two angels literally looking down on the mercy seat. And why is this so? Let me tell you this, my friends. The Bible says that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We sin. We make mistakes. We go contrary to God's will. We break his law. But can I tell you, thank God for grace and mercy. Oh, come on. Somebody ought to thank God for his mercy today. Because it's his mercy that keeps us. And that's important that while there is a law that is disregarded, there's a mercy seat which suggests to us that God never treats us as we deserve. Can you imagine if God treated you as you deserved? Can you imagine if God really gave you what you should get? Can you imagine if God dealt with us as we ought to be dealt with? Somebody ought to understand that the God I serve and the God you serve is a loving and merciful Father. And so, the other article, which is the golden candlestick, which is really where I want to focus on today, was on the south side in the holy place. And this golden candlesticks, beloved, is a beautiful piece of furniture. When you read it in Exodus, the Bible tells us that it was literally carved from one solid block of gold. So you'd get a big chunk of gold, and the workmen carved it into existence. And Revelation 20, rather Revelation 1, and I want to read it for you. I don't even want to tell you. Revelation 1 verse 20 says this. Listen to this. Because... This candlestick, you find it in three places in the Bible. How many places? Three. three. You find it in the Old Testament, in Exodus and Leviticus. I read it from Leviticus 24 a while ago. You find it in the Old Testament in Zechariah, and I'll show you that in a minute. But you also find it in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1. And the Bible tells us something very important, because the question is this. What does the candlestick represent? Listen to Revelation 20, Revelation 1 rather, verse 20. The Bible says this, the Bible says this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. Listen to this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. In other words, beloved, in other words, the candlesticks, represents the church of God. Can I say that again? The candlesticks represent the church of God. And I want to show you a few things about the candlesticks quickly. Number one, number one, the Bible says it's made from precious gold. It's made from a very valuable metal, and it is chiseled into existence. Do you know that if God thinks you are of value, and if you are of worth, sometimes he will have to put us through the rigors, Sometimes he will have to put us through challenges, but when he's done with us, we will come forth as pure gold. What do you say? God may put you some through some difficulties. He may put you through some trials. He may put you through some issues, but he is simply working on you to make you and me what he wants us to be. Therefore, I can tell you as a pastor that you won't have difficulties because you're a child of God. I can tell you that you won't have problems. No, 
in this life, we will have problems. But guess what? Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome. And if he overcame, he gives to us his overcoming power today. I wish somebody would say amen. amen. We are therefore precious in his sight, but it also means something else. And I want you to get this. I want you to get this. When God is done with us, we will be perfect. It therefore means that we must answer an important question. The church, God's church on earth right now, is God's church perfect? Hello? <laughs> I hope you realize what you're saying. Because if God's church is not perfect, the church is not the building, the church is who? Exactly. And there's some people who believe that the church must be made up of only the perfect people. And the problem is this. The problem is, is you know, there's a church in Georgia uh, uh, that went by the title, the Church of No Hypocrites. In other words, no one there apparently was a hypocrite. So I couldn't attend that church because the minute I stepped in there, I would be the first hypocrite. Can I tell somebody something? God's church may not be perfect, but the God of the church is a perfect God. And he's working on me. He's working on you. And when he's done with us, we will be where he wants us to be. Somebody say amen. amen. So God's church may not be perfect, but he's a perfect God, and he will work on his church. That, therefore, means you and I don't have the responsibility to try to make God's church perfect. Let him do it, and he will do it in his time. Amen. But another important thing is this. The candlesticks weren't just there for... Uh, 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 to take up space or just to look beautiful. The Bible says in Leviticus 24 that the light was to burn continually. Amen. What does that mean? If the church, uh, if the candlesticks represents the church, then the church needs to make a difference where we are. Amen. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 14 onwards, you are the light of the church. Amen. Is that what he said? The You're the light of the what? But some of us want to be the light of the church. You are the light of the world. And he says, let your light so shine that men may see your goodness and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The church is not here to satisfy itself. The church is not a social club. The church is not a place where we just come for our cliques and for our specific issues. No, the church is here to make a difference in the world. And so, beloved, with this idea, I want to show you something else about the sanctuary. All of this, beloved, whether it's about the candlesticks, whether it's about the, shoe, the table of shoebread, whether it's about the altar of incense, whether it's about the mercy seat, the ark, the altar of burnt sacrifice, the blaver, whatever about the sanctuary was all designed to let us know that the blood of Jesus is able to save anybody from their sins. I don't know if you understand how important this is. When God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, the Bible tells us that Moses went down there to Pharaoh and said to him, God says, let my people go. Now, Pharaoh had the audacity and the temerity to say to God, uh, Moses rather, I don't know God and I don't care who he is and I'm not going to let them go. Well, I've learned something, my friends. Don't mess with God because God will mess you up. <laughs> the Bible tells us that God slapped him in the face nine times and the tenth time he got the left and right hand uppercut because the Bible tells us that 
With the last plague, in the land of Goshen, there were no dead. But in the land of Egypt, every firstborn was dead. And do you want to know why there were no dead in the land of Goshen? Moses had said to God's people, get a lamb, kill the lamb, take the blood, put it on the lintel and on the doorpost. And Moses said that the death angel is going to pass through. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Somebody ought to understand that there's still power in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's still power in that blood. There's still power in that blood to save today. And let me show you how powerful the blood is. You know, as I was driving here, uh, uh, my wife this morning asked me, uh, uh, did you put gas in the car? And I'm like, well, I think I did. Fortunately, there was. But every time I go to the pump these days, I'm like, Lord, can you do something for me, Jesus? I was filling the car the other day. And as I'm filling it, I'm praying that instead of the price going up, it would go down. But for some reason, it wouldn't work with me. Ah, you realize that things are getting expensive. There is inflation, and what inflation does is this. It lessens the value of a dollar. So if a dollar could buy 20 things, it can now buy 10 things. There is inflation. But can I tell you something, beloved? The currency with which heaven does business is the blood of Jesus, and the blood will never lose its power. One day, in Sabbath school, there was a little boy sitting in Sabbath school. The teacher just taught that with God... All things are possible. Do you believe that today? And the teacher, in an effort to see if the little boy and everyone else had learned, asked them, is there anything too hard for God? You know, you always have those little Johnnies at the back of class. And Johnny raised his hand and said, well, yes, teacher, there's something too hard for God. And the teacher said, what is that? The Bible says with God, all things are possible. What is it that's too hard for God? And then little Johnny said this. He said, God cannot see my sins when I'm covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Somebody ought to understand today that there's still power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so having said all of that, this question is still this. Is your church making a difference? And how can your church make a difference in this world? Well, the candlesticks gives us an idea. And I want to tell you about this before I take my seat. Leviticus 24, uh, verse 2, 1 onward says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting. Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning. Before the Lord continually, it shall be a statute forever in your generation. He shall be in charge of the lamp of pure gold lampstand before the Lord. Now, what do I want to tell you about the lampstand that will help you to understand how to keep your fire burning? We said it earlier, so we need to go back there, which is simply this. The church, beloved, rep the lampstand represents the church. But the church, beloved, is not the building. The church is you. So the question is this, if the church is making a difference, it means that you are making a difference. So how can you make a difference? Well, the first thing I want you to understand is this, you will not be able to make a difference if the high priest is not doing something very important in your life. And what is that, preacher? What is that? The Bible just tells us in Leviticus 24, but I want to read it to you from Exodus chapter 30, verse 7. Listen to what it says. It says, Aaron shall burn on it. Sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamp. So every morning, 
Aaron would burn sweet incense on the altar of incense, but he would also have to tend the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. And verse 8 says, And when Aaron lights the lamp at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. In Leviticus 24, the Bible says that the lamps must never go out. And how do we make sure they don't go out? We need oil. And the oil needs to be there, and Aaron needs to light it every morning and every evening. If you're going to make a difference in this community, if you're going to make a difference in this world, you need to ensure that the high priest, who is Jesus himself, is lighting your life every morning and every evening. Let me say that again. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 and 2 makes it clear that our high priest is the minister of the true tabernacle which is in heaven. And if Jesus is the minister of the true tabernacle, the question is this, is he lighting your life every day? Here's a question for you. Look at the past week. And how many of us can honestly say that we've spent time with God every morning and we spend time with God every evening? Do you think that when you leave your house and you go out and you come in, that it's because of some goodness about you while you go out and come in safely? Do you think those children and those parents, when they drop their kids off at school, thought that they were going to have to live through this horror? Let me tell you something, friends. Every day you're driving down the road, the devil would love for a big rig trailer to just run you down. But do you know how many times the angel of the Lord steps in and spears your life? It is not about you. It's not about me. It's God who keeps us safe. So I want to suggest something to you. And I know this is not very popular these days. But here's what I would suggest to you. Before you leave your house every day, Worship with your family. And when you come in and God takes you in safely, say thank you God and worship with your family. Spend time praying. Spend time reading the word. Because if the high priest is not lighting your life in the morning and in the evening, you will not keep your fire burning. Spend time with God. Many of us treat God like we treat our flat tire or our spare tire. Now, question for you. How many of you know the condition of the spear tire in your car? Anybody? And how often do you think about the spear tire in your car? <laughs> Only when you need it. And I pray, God, that if you need it, that it has air in it. <laughs> but that's how we treat God. We treat God like a spear tire. We only remember him if we and when we need him. Some of us treat God like the national anthem at the football game. Everybody just wants to get to the game. You think they care about the national anthem, really? It's sung and it's moved on, and that's it. The game is what we're worried about. Let me tell you something. Stop treating God like your spear tire. What about his word? What about his word? Many of us treat God's word even worse because, get this, the word, beloved, is not cake for special occasion. It's bread for daily use. If you're not praying, if you're not studying the word of God morning and evening, I promise you, your light will not be burning. The high priest tended to the lamps every morning and every evening. Let Jesus make a difference in your life so that you can make a difference in the world by spending time with him daily in his word and in prayer. Do it to start your day. Do it to end your day. And I promise you, your light will keep on burning. Somebody say amen. 
So number one, if you want your light to make a difference, because again, each one of us here as members of the church will only make a difference collectively, the church rather, will only make a difference collectively if each one of us individually are experiencing the light and power of the high priest, Jesus Christ himself. Number two, number two, number two. How are you going to make a difference in this world? How are you going to make a difference in this world? Well, I want to go to the last candlestick, which is in Revelation, to show you how we're going to make a difference. Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 1 tells us, in verse 12, listen to this. Remember we just read in Revelation 1 verse 20 that the candlesticks represent the church. But listen to Revelation 1 verse 12. The Bible says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. I don't know if you notice what's happening there, but in the lampstand in Leviticus, the Bible says, and in Exodus, uh, the high priest era needed to tend to it every day. And I'm saying to you, our true high priest Jesus needs to tend to the lamp of your light every day. Spend time with him every day, morning and evening. But then number two, the Bible gives us another picture, not so much of the individual now, but of the corporate uh, 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 association of members. It says something interesting about our high priest. Notice what it says. So I saw seven lampstands and in the midst. Of the seven lambs stand, one like the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Anyone knows? Jesus. Jesus himself. But notice the location of Jesus to the church. What's the location? Is he on the outside? Is he above it? Is he beneath it? Where is he? He is at the center. You know, one of the things I find interesting about church I've had the privilege to be a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church since 2003. And one of the interesting things I've noted, any church, and well, I know it doesn't happen here at Naples, praise God, not Naples, everywhere else it might happen, but there's something I've noticed about the church. People like to make everything and everyone else the center of the church except Jesus. Yeah, 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 you don't want to say amen, I'll say it for you, Amen. <laughs> People like to make everything else, so we make the music, we make the, 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 the elder, we make the pastor, we make this, that, the center of the church. Let me tell you something, you will only make a difference when Jesus is in his right position. He needs to be center and central. Amen. That's why I like the song which was sung earlier, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. When you come to church, you don't come to see people, you came to see Jesus Christ. When you come to church, it's not about anyone here. And everything may be done beautifully, but if Jesus is not in the right position, you will never make a difference. Put Jesus where he ought to be. Don't put no pastor. Don't put any elder. Don't put any programming. Nothing. Make sure that Jesus is at the center. Ellen White says something very interesting. Describing the ordination of the 12 disciples in Desire of Ages, she said that Jesus called the disciples around him, and he was in the center. And she said he called them to come closer. And two things happened. Number one, as they came closer to Jesus, they came closer to each other. If you want to make a difference, put Jesus at the center. And as you get closer to him, number one, you will get closer to each other, and you will make a difference in this world. Amen. You want to make a difference? 
Let the high priest light your life every morning and every evening. Amen. If you want to make a difference, put Jesus at the center of the church. Amen. But then finally, if you want to make a difference, if you want to make a difference, I want to show you this one. This one comes from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I'm sure many of you may know exactly where it is. I think I just found it, Zechariah chapter 4. I want to show you something beautiful in Zechariah 4. Jesus says, if you want to make a difference in your community, let the high priest light your life every morning and every evening. If you want to make a difference, let Jesus be at the center. But the question is this, how would Jesus, when he's at the center, light the lamp of your life? I want to tell you, I want to tell you. Listen to Zechariah 4. The Bible says, now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold. Remember I told you that it was made out of one block of solid gold? And with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand, seven lamps. We saw seven lamps in Revelation. There were seven lamps in Exodus and Leviticus. And here in Zechariah, there are seven lamps. And the Bible says, the Bible says, with seven pipes in the seven lamps, two olive trees are by it. Remember, we read in Leviticus that they must bring the oil from the olive plant. And then the Bible says this, the Bible says this, two olive trees by it, one on the right and the other on the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Let me tell you what's going on here. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, and Joshua the high priest have been involved in encouraging the people to rebuild the temple of God because they just came out of Babylonian exile after 70 years. But the people, beloved, started doing everything but building the church so the church could make a difference. And the Bible tells us that Zerubbabel was getting discouraged, but God gave him a vision of the lampstand, which represents the church, and the olive trees, which represents the oil being poured into. And Zerubbabel was told what the oil of the olive tree represents. He says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Let me tell you this. If Jesus is going to be light in your life every morning, if Jesus is going to be making, be the center of this church, it will be evident by the Holy Spirit's power in this church. Now, what do I mean by the Holy Spirit's power in the church? When I was in college, I have a friend. I have a friend who one day came to me crying. She was crying because her father sent her to an Adventist school, but they were uh, Pentecostals. And... She started to study the Word of God and couldn't understand why her father and others took a certain position on different things. And she was crying because they told her she didn't have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, they say it will be manifested in a certain way where you'll come to church and you'll start speaking a shalom a shamba, ustalam a honda, and all sorts of foolishness. Is that how the Spirit manifests itself? We don't believe so. Heard a story about a church where someone in the church caught the spirit and then the pastor's wife caught the spirit 
And when she got in the spirit, she fell on the floor and she was in a frenzy. But then another church brother caught the spirit and he fell on top of the pastor's wife. <laughs> and when she did that, he did that, the pastor ran down there, grabbed him and slapped him a few times and said, wrong spirit, my brother, wrong spirit. <laughs> the spirit of God doesn't work that way. Somebody say amen. You don't need to be speaking in no tongues and talking things that you claim no one else understands. No, that's not how the Spirit works. You want to know how the Spirit works? The Spirit works in two ways. How many ways? Two ways. I'm going to tell you and then I'll be wrapping it up and taking my seat. Number one, the Spirit works through the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 describes the works of the flesh. And immediately after describing the works of the flesh, it describes the fruit of the Spirit. And it never said fruits. It said fruit of the Spirit. Read it in Galatians 5 verse 22 onward. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, uh, gentleness, meekness. Let me read it for you. It says this. Listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What is the Bible getting at here? What is the Bible getting at here? When the Spirit is in your life, it will be evident by your lifestyle. Can I say that again? When the Spirit is in your life, it will be evident by your lifestyle. Look at the fruit of the Spirit that it begins with. Love, love. What is love? What is love? I heard one man say, love is a feeling you feel. When you feel, you're going to get a feeling you never felt before. Now, now, frankly, that ain't love. I think that might be your first experience with diarrhea, pardon me, yeah, because that is not love. I heard another man say love is a heterogeneous conflagration of absurdity calculated to bamboozle the anatomy of the individual who's intoxicated by its abominable curse. Now, beloved, sorry, that is just too complicated to be love. On the contrary, the Bible says God is love. What does that mean? If you want to see love, look to God. You know how much he loves you and loves me? He loves us so much that when we did not deserve his grace and his mercy, he sent Jesus to die in a tree for us. Now let me tell you something. I have two children, a little girl, Kelsey, and a boy, Kyle, and I love them dearly. But if I had to give my child to save you, you would die. <laughs> but Jesus... God's only son, God gave him to save us from sin. And the Bible is saying today, we must demonstrate God's love. But do you know what we do? We demonstrate human love. Let me show you how humans love. Let me show you how humans love. This is how humans love. A young man wanted to break up with his girlfriend, and he called her to say, listen, we need to talk. Can we meet? And she said, sure. And she said, by the way, I've got something I want us to talk about too. And she said, all right, no problem. He said, all right, no problem. And so when they met up, he said, all right, you go first. And she said, no, no, you go first. And he insisted, you go first. So she said, guess what? I got tickets for us to go to Paris this weekend. And then she said to him, what do you want to tell me? And he said, oh, that can wait until we come back. <laughs> That's how human beings love. We take advantage of the other. But would God ever do that to you and to me? No. He loves us so much that he would sacrifice everything for us. If you have the Spirit in your life today, are you loving like God loves? 
Are you loving like God loves? But not only the fruit do you need, the Spirit manifests itself in a number of ways, the fruit, but also the gift. What do you mean? Read it in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Bible says that all of us have received some gift. Maybe you can sing. Maybe you can play the guitar. Maybe you can pray. Maybe you can help out on the soundboard. Maybe you can do something. All of us have a gift. But the question is this. Which comes first? The gift or the fruit? Because get this. If you can sing but you don't have love, are you filled with the Spirit? No. So we know we have the Spirit in our life when the fruit leads us to use our gifts for Jesus Christ. Do you have the Spirit in your life today? Is the high priest center and central? Is the high priest light in your life every morning and every evening? Because the truth is this, my friends. Until Jesus, who is the high priest, is light in your life every morning through the power of the Holy Spirit and is at the center of the church, our lives and our church will not make a difference in this community. Let Jesus light your life. Let Jesus be center and central. And let the power of the Holy Spirit be manifested in your life where the fruit of the Spirit leads you to use your gifts to make a difference in this church and in the community. Father, I pray that your word will have its desired effect on all our lives. I pray that your word will transform us so that we can make a difference in this church and in this community so that when Jesus comes again, we all can be saved in your eternal kingdom. This we pray with thanksgiving in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Let everybody say, Amen. Amen. Amen.